You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Redemption. Happy Super Bowl Sunday if you're into such things. Um, in Houston, Super Bowl is at least uh, something to get excited about, um, are a long way away unless you're a transplant. So y'all have fun, enjoy some nachos, but we have no vested interest in anything that's happening this evening. Uh, welcome to Redemption Church. We are a community that exists to provide connection to Jesus for absolutely anyone. That is why we are here. Um, We seek to achieve our goals of connection with God and with one another, and our goal of redemption through grace, sharing, and exploration. I'm really glad you're here, whether you've been here for a decade-ish, or whether this is your first time here. I'm glad you're here, and I want to extend an invitation So every week I stand up here and I hold up a Connect card, which I don't have on me right now, but you can see them. They're in the the seat backs in front of you. Uh, If you're new, I want to invite you to fill that out. Let us know you're here. Someone will reach out later this week and say, hey, thanks for coming. You want to grab some coffee? You want to get lunch? You want to hang out? You have any questions, et cetera? But I also want to extend that invitation to the rest of you, whether you've been here for 10 days or 10 years. Um, Like, I'm your pastor like, I, I'm not someone that you can't get a hold of or that I'm too busy to be bothered. Like, that's literally why I'm here. It's my job. Um, I want to know you. I want to talk to you. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. So if you have questions, if you have questions about the church, if you have questions about me, if you have questions about theology or God or the website, I don't know, like, whatever, like, please know that you can reach out. And one of the easiest ways to do that, if you don't want to message me on Instagram or through the website or through whatever, you can fill out one of those cards and drop it in the box on the way back, uh, on your way out. The other thing that you can do that I want to invite you to do that I, it happens sometimes, it doesn't happen nearly enough, is what do you need? Like, how can we as a community gather around you and help you and serve you and support you How can we pray for you? Um, There is a space on that card, although it's very faint, so you probably can't read it, that like has, hey, what what do you need? How can we pray for you? How can we help? So whether you're new or whether you've been here for 10 years, if there's something you need, if there's something we can talk through, if you just want to let us know, hey, this is going on, could you please pray for me? Will you just make a note of it, drop it in the back on your way out the door? You could also do the same thing if you go to redemptionhou.com slash today, but I'm glad you're here. So last week, we talked about suffering. Y'all are like, man, this is supposed to be like a a series on hope, the most hopeful thing you've ever talked about, and like it's just been weeks of like, wow, this is pretty dark. Welcome to Redemption Church. That's kind of how we roll. Um, 
But we, we took some, some time to explore, like, how is it that, that suffering is not God's plan for you? How is it that pain is not God's plan for you? We didn't exactly get to what God's plan for you is, and if you're expecting that today, sorry, you'll have to come back next week. It's a big mystery, or you could just keep reading in your Bibles. But God does have a plan for your life, and that plan for your life is not that you would suffer, but it's a plan that we could actually like, have hope in, that we could actually like, stake our lives on, that, that might actually begin to give us some courage and some joy when we shouldn't have any joy, and some delight when we have no reason to delight in anything. And so last week, we took some time to explore that. We took some time to talk about how here at Redemption Church, we do not run from the idea of suffering, that we name it, we confront it, we talk about it, both like as a church, but also as individuals. I will always, forever, maybe annoyingly so, stand up in front of you and say, hey, I might be your pastor, but I am very, very human, very, very flawed, and very, very broken. And the, the day that I stop doing that should be the day that you go to the council and be like, hey, this guy is uh, getting a little too self-righteous. But we haven't quite spelled out what this most hopeful idea is yet. We've talked about it. We've explored it from different angles. We've kind of messed with it. But we've done this intentionally. One, because I don't want to give it away. I want you to keep coming back. No, I'm just kidding. Right, the reason why is if, if I were to tell you like in a sentence, here it is, here's the most hopeful idea in all of the scriptures, if I were to say that to you right now, you would go, oh yeah, 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 I've heard that. And it would not strike you with the force that it ought to strike you with. It would not imbibe into you the hope that it ought to imbibe into you. Did I use that word right? I don't know if I did. But you get the, you get the picture I'm painting here. And so in order to do that, we've had a, a heavy few Sundays. We've walked through Romans chapter 8. We've talked about our flesh. We've talked about sin and death. We've talked about suffering. Last week, we distinguished between hope and optimism. And because of that, we'll always be a church that names brokenness. And because of that, this idea of hope will never be that we look at our present broken reality and call it good, unless it actually is good, that we will never look at evil and say, oh, that's wonderful. We will never look at sin and say sin is beautiful. But what that means is that we find ourselves in a state of need. That what Paul has been doing for the most of this chapter in Romans chapter 8 is saying, hey, look, look what Jesus has done for you because you needed it. Look how helpless you were. Look what God's intervention is inviting you into. And we've kind of explored that from the negative side. And we're going to begin to turn the corner today and start to look at, wait, how is this good news and what do I do about it or with it today? But what I want to start with is this idea that we've kind of talked about, and I wanted to say it and name it and put it out there black and white and put it on the screen behind me. Jesus is actually doing something that makes a material difference in our world. 
right? And the reason I feel so like, hey, I've got to say this out loud, as obvious as that might seem, is a lot of times we get lulled into this complacent belief that he's not, that Jesus has done something for us in the past that affects our future, that has absolutely nothing to do with our brokenness right now or the brokenness of our neighbors. It's why we begin every service with this line, the kingdom of God is breaking in, the kingdom of God is breaking in, the kingdom of God is breaking in. It's here, it's among us. So Paul, the author of this letter, is writing to a a cohort of Christian followers who are in Rome, that's in Italy, my southern Louisiana uh, in-laws call it. And he's repeatedly reminded us that the good news, the gospel, is necessarily tangible, not just spiritual. This is not just an accounting trick. This is not just a ledger. This is not just taking your uh, status and moving it over here and changing it to this. God is actually materially doing something through the resurrected Jesus Christ. Jesus is tangibly at work in us and through us, bringing about redemption, tangible redemption. Resurrection, tangible resurrection. Jesus, by the spirit that dwells within us, is actually doing something that makes a difference in our world. And over and over and over and over again, I will come back and I will fight you over this idea. And so I want to, like... We don't do this a lot, and there's a reason we don't do this a lot, but I want to like, talk through a little bit about what this means. In the last couple of weeks, uh, there was a, a lady here, I can say her name now because she's gone, uh, Maureen. Anyone get to know Maureen? She sat in the back usually. She came in quietly, usually left quietly. So she was an au pair who was doing some nannying, um, down the street, she's a Christian uh, from Malway, I believe, in Africa, and she was like looking for a church. We were down the street, so she walked into our doors like, hey, this is my church now for the next like three months until I go back home. Back in December, a week or two before she left, like, hey, I'm going to miss you. She used to walk the kids over to the school right over here, and I would see her every now and then on a Monday morning. Um, usually on our way back with an empty stroller, like, hey, you're leaving in a couple of weeks. Like, how, how are you doing? What, what do you need? How are things going? And she began to share with me her story about how the reason that she came here, the reason that she left her family was that she could earn enough money to help them pay for their first couple of years of college. And that some things had happened, some unfortunate circumstances had come about, and that she was going to return back home without that money. whoa, Maureen, what do you need? $1,100. Like, let's walk into the building right now and let me write you a check. $1,100 so that your kids can either go to college or not go to college. Like, that doesn't buy textbooks for us. (laughs) And so because of your generosity, because of what Jesus is doing through you, you didn't know that it was happening, you had no idea that you were playing a part in it, but because of you, Maureen's life is tangibly and materially different. Two weeks ago, um, 
there was a guy who used to go here. His name is Dan Holman. Anyone know Dan? So he was pre-COVID, right? That was Redemption 1.0. <laughs> okay, that was a little too robust of a laugh, okay? All right. So Dan works with a disaster relief organization, and here's the type of person that Dan is. He's like this imposing figure who, like, the only thing I could describe him as is, is like Santa Claus. He is a giant human being. He is enormous. I don't know how tall he is. In my mind, he's like 6'12". Wait, hold on. 6'11 and a half. But he is the nicest, most joy-filled, compassionate human being I may have ever met in my life. He's like the type of person that in his presence, you meet him and immediately you're like, oh, you really like me. Like, it's weird, right? Anyways, Dan, fantastic human being, used to go to Redemption Church. He decided, hey, we're going to sell our house. We're going to move into a trailer, an RV, and he works for this disaster relief organization, and we're going to take our RV RV into disaster areas, and we're going to just go serve people in the name of Jesus. And so he spent, I can't remember the name of the town, he went to California and he's been there for the last like four or five years, this, uh, that town that had been like completely ravaged by wildfires back before the pandemic erased our memories of terrible things happening. Well, two weeks ago, uh, a storm blew through this town and knocked a tree onto Dan's RV. His wife and kids were in it when it happened. They were thrown from the RV, thank God, and by his grace, I believe, Uh, they're okay. Like, they are physically okay, obviously significantly shaken up. I saw he posted something on Facebook, like, Dan, oh my gosh, are you, everything okay? What do you need? Like, we're fine. We've got to, like, thankfully, we're already in the process of, like, you know, housing, and so we're good there. But, like, all of our stuff, all of our stuff is gone. Like, we haven't even been able to sort through it. I don't even know if the kids have clothes. So, because of your generosity, we were able to send Dan a little bit of money to help him go buy some clothes for the next couple of weeks or whatever else he and his family needed. Uh, we've had a long-standing partnership with Longfellow Elementary School right across the street right here. Longfellow has an after-school program called Leopards Club. It's where kids can go after school. Their parents can't come and pick them up at three like normal human beings who have full-time jobs, right? Who is picking their kids up at three o'clock other than pastors who are like, right? So they have this program. It's like curriculum-based. It's got like some actual real like they're doing stuff. They're not just like, all right, kids, uh, don't kill yourselves. They're like doing stuff and they're learning stuff. And it's like there's tutoring programs and there's science clubs. There's like cool stuff going on. But because of that, like, it costs money. It's not free. And so we had some conversations with them and said, hey, what do y'all need? Well, there's three kids, two different families, three kids that can't afford it. Their parents can't get here to pick them up. They have full-time jobs. They can't get off work until five. Whatever you can do would help. Well, how much do you need? 300 bucks a month. Like, really? That's it? Like, we can do 300 bucks a month? Yes, absolutely. Can we sponsor them for, like, the rest of the year? In fact, are there others? But because of your generosity, right? This is not my money. This is not money that's coming out of my bank account. I can assure you of that. Because of your generosity, you are making a tangible difference in the lives of our neighbors. There are people here 
both in the past and currently, who have been in a situation where they needed uh, counseling therapy, they weren't able to afford it, and we have supported them and paid for that. There is a, a long-term partnership that we have with a houseless organization called Church Under the Bridge, where we go and we have committed that every single last Tuesday of the month for like perpetuity, until we say, okay, we're done, we are going to help and serve our houseless community, our houseless neighbors here in Houston. Redemption, right? You may not know it. You may not see it. You may get lulled into like the Sunday after Sunday, and then you go to work on the Monday, and they're like, I don't know, there's a Super Bowl party, and there's some things, and like the, the city of Houston, people's lives are being changed because of what you do. Like, this is what we're talking about when we say that the gospel of Jesus Christ is one where our hearts are woken up and we begin to love our neighbors like we love ourselves. This is not just, hey, I get to go to heaven when I die. This matters. This is a resurrection people living into a resurrection life that, yes, we are putting Band-Aids on bullet holes. I realize that. Like we go once a month and we serve some food and I wish we could do a whole lot more, but at least it's something, right? So we are a resurrection people seeking the restoral and the redemption of the world around us even as we ourselves are restored and renewed. So we don't do this out of like pity. We don't do this out of any sort of superiority. We do this because God is renewing us and we believe that God is renewing the world and that he has promised that he's with us and if we will work for redemption, he will show up by his grace and make good things happen. This is who we are as a church. This is why we exist. It's why we show up. It's why we do what we do. But we live in a tension. Not attention, right? <laughs> we live in tension between this old world and this new world, this old world of sin and death and chaos and decay and disorder and disruption and this new world of grace and life and shalom and peace. And so my next point, um, where we haven't got to any of the text yet, we're, it's, you're like, wait, Romans 8, what happened to that? It's coming, it's coming, I promise. There was like groaning and a spirit I don't even remember. My next point is this, the old world order, the one we talked so much about last week, the old world order and the in-breaking new world order are not just worlds that we exist in, they are worlds that exist in us. We are as much victims of the brokenness of the world as we are perpetrators of the brokenness of the world. In the same way that we are oppressed and violated, we do violence even in unintentional ways. We are not simply enslaved to sin and death. We are perpetrators of sin and death. In this world of sin and death, this self-serving reality that exists not just outside of us, but within each and every one of us is alive and well right now in our present reality. But 
Resurrection is also happening in our present reality. And so while whatever we do, we are consigned to decay, and whoever we are, no matter how rich or how poor, no matter how much an insider or an outsider we are, whoever we are, we are oppressed by a decaying world. We are also a people of resurrection, a people of hope, a people that say that what exists now is not what will exist forever. Okay, so I'm on like, uh, I'm, wow, okay, I'm on, I'm on tangents, it's okay. So uh, if you haven't started watching, what's the show now? Uh, the Last of Us, is that right? Is that the right one? Yeah, someone called it out. Is that Larissa? Nice. <laughs> She's like, I know where he's going. Right, so there, uh, two weeks ago, there's this episode, and I love, like, zombie shows. I don't like horror movies. I'm not really a horror film guy, but, like, zombie dystopian things, I'm like, yes. And I think there's something here that I'm like, this is our world. You just don't know it. Like, it's all disguised, right? Especially, like, post-pandemic, we're all like, oh, yeah, wow. There's a virus. In it. Okay. Um, there was this conversation between this guy and this adolescent girl, and they're talking about hope. And our question is, why do you go on if you don't think things are actually going to get any better? All right, and this is, uh, I don't really have a point other than like the show is awesome. And also, like, sometimes we think about hope as in it's just this like, oh, it's all fine. It is not all fine. In 2023, where 25,000 people were taken off the face of, an earth, of the earth in an earthquake in Syria, it is not fine. In a world where cancer and death and like just brokenness is everywhere, it is not fine. Hope is not like painting tombstones with like a fresh coat of paint, right? This is exactly what Jesus says. You're, to the Pharisees, your whitewashed tombs, your coffins that have been painted and ornated and you look beautiful on the outside, but inside you is nothing but death. So as Paul concludes this idea of a people beginning to experience resurrection, he offers us today's scripture to consider because we have an option here. We can be a people of hope in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of decay, or we can throw up our hands and go, wow, this is depressing. We should eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But he says this in the section that we looked at last week, hope realized is no longer hope. We hope for what is not yet realized. We hope for what is not yet realized. There will be a day where God puts an end to hope. And that sounds really dark when you say it that way. But in fact, it's quite the opposite. When there will be no more need. What do we need to hope in? We have everything we could ever want. But we're not there yet. And this hopeful idea begins with the fact that we are weak. That as much as the world is broken, we are also broken. And so now we can finally jump into Romans 8. We're in chapter 8 for another two weeks, today and then next Sunday. And we're going to be in verses, just two verses this week, 26 and 27. And Paul says this, in the same way. So he's coming off of last week's sermon. The creation is groaning and suffering, and we are groaning and suffering 
and in the same way, right? He's beginning this like parallel idea. The Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. And so just a friendly reminder, hey, we're not alone in our suffering, in this chaos, in this despair, right? This is not some sort of deistic vision of the world where God has been like, all right, peace out, y'all deal with it. We do have hope because God is with us. And not just like here in present and be like, cool, I'm gonna watch. Like, no, 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 God is active and working. Look at what Paul says. The Spirit helps us. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Right, so this, uh, this is a really crazy Greek word. It was like, multiple prepositions, and then the, the root, and then other things, I, literally like six or seven uh, syllables here. I could say it to you, but it would be wrong, and I'd make, it would make me a liar, so I can't actually say it to you is what I'm saying. But it shows up a couple other times in the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Uh, it shows up in Exodus when God tells Moses, hey, you need some help. You should appoint judges to like help you with all of the people you have to manage. And you know how we translate that, bring that idea out from both the Hebrew and the Greek Old Testament? That's a whole other conversation. Take the Bible class in the fall. We'll talk about it. It's translated as appoint some people to help bear your burden with you. Same word. And the Spirit of God is bearing your burden with you in your weakness. In another place in the Psalms, it's depicted as David, God's anointed one, God's chosen, God's king of Israel. May my right hand lift you up. May it support you. May it come alongside you and be a helper to you. It's also the word that's used in Luke when Martha is like bugging Jesus. Like, hey, I'm doing all this work and Mary's just sitting there at your feet. What the heck? Ask her to help me. Same word. Right, it's weird because this word doesn't show up very often. Ask her to share some of this burden with me. Tell her that, hey, I'm, I'm out here on my own. You need to come alongside and like, take some responsibility for this mess too. The Spirit of God is helping us, is carrying this burden with you in your weakness. We're going to come back to this idea here in just a second. But let's talk about our weakness for a minute. I even have a slide, y'all. I want to present to you preparation, okay? This is, oh, there it is. Look at that. Are you not entertained? <laughs> Thank you. This is, this is why you come here. That's right. <laughs> and now is the time where I tell you that this isn't actually mine. I just stole it from someone else. There's a, yeah, at the bottom where you can't read it. It's small enough so you can't see it. It's intentional. Uh, so this is from Douglas Campbell's Pauline Dogmatics. He's a Pauline scholar. And Right, he is basically laying out in picture form what Paul is talking about here. So when he says weakness, what does he mean? And I want to like, like lay out a picture of what we've been talking about over the last several weeks. There is this old world order. This old world order in Romans 6, 7, and 8 is this fleshly mind and this fleshly body. And you're going to hear that, and you're going to hear like this separation between the two. These are not separated in Paul's world. These are like to be human is to be body and mind together. Like when you hear mind, think inner self. And I wish I, wish I had peace of mind, right? That's the way that, <clears throat> that's the way that Paul is using this. <laughs> 
Speaking of bodies, uh, apparently mine is trapped in a 14-year-old's, or yeah, my mind is trapped in a 14-year-old's body. And then there's like a fleshly body. And, and body is like, uh, the Greek word sarx, like he's using this uh, in a different way than he uses the word flesh. Um, and so the idea is like your physical body that will one day die and return to dirt. Like he's being very intentional, like you have a, a fleshly mind and you have a fleshly body in the old world order, and the old world order is a fleshly world order. And what he means by that, because now all of you are hearing like old Southern Baptists, like don't live in the flesh, listen to that secular music, that's fleshly, and you're like, ah, oh, no, hold on, time out. Right, flesh is like Paul's way of describing anything that exists under the power in the realm of sin and death. But that's his like catch-all. And then he's going to use the word spiritual, and that doesn't mean like spiritual, right? Like playing soccer is fleshly, praying is spiritual. No. Um, well, yeah, well, yeah, I'll come back to this in a second, hold on. <laughs> so we have this fleshly mind and this fleshly body, and this inbreaking world is, is like coming in that Jesus has introduced through his death and resurrection, and in the inauguration of the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of the risen Jesus is now in us, resurrecting our broken fleshly minds. So that our broken fleshly minds have begun to be replaced by the mind of Christ, Paul will say in Philippians. Uh, he says in Romans 6 that you are a new creation, you are a new creature, you are a new person. The old you is dead, the new person is now here. And so uh, we have what he calls a spiritual mind. That's this middle, lower one that begins when Christ comes in, the spirit shows up and starts to do the work. But now we have this in-between, this tension of the old world order and the in-breaking new world order. And so part of our weakness is that we suffer and we die and we get viruses and we get sick. And in the case of my two-year-old, we get hand, foot, and mouth disease for like the third time in her life. Like, you're two. How have you gotten this so many times? Anyways, she's fine. <laughs> Apparently, I'm not. <laughs> right, and so one of the things that Jesus is doing for us by the Spirit is he's renewing our mind. This is Romans chapter 12. The Spirit of God is now changing the way that you perceive and exist within the world so that things that you used to hate, you start to love. Things that you used to love, you start to hate. This is, when we kind of like glossed over it, but he says this a few verses earlier in Romans chapter 8, that the Spirit of God is working in you, causing you to put to death the deeds of the flesh. That there's like some real like suffering that's going to happen as you follow Jesus that doesn't have to happen if you're like, I'm going to go do me. <laughs> right? It means like, hey, I don't walk over my coworkers to like climb the corporate ladder. I don't keep all of my money. I give it to the church. Y'all realize how weird that is in 2023? You do what with your money? You give it to who? Please keep doing that. <laughs> but there is this change that's happening that is, well, I think, what Paul is including in this idea of weakness, and the Spirit of God is helping us in that, even as we say no to things, right? We have a, a group of, um, one of our hub groups is a recovery group, and one of the things that they get in a very, 
very tangible way is that not every single thing that I want is good for me. Not every single thing that I want is good for my neighbors. And that there are some things that I just have to say no to for the sake of my own flourishing and the sake of the flourishing of the people around me, that Jesus is inviting me to follow him and say no to certain things. And man, is that hard to do. And man, is that costly to do. And man, do we choose not to do it all of the time. Right, and I'm talking about all of us, right? So we have this spiritual mind, but when the new world order finally shows up, i.e., when Jesus finally comes back, when actual, real, full resurrection really happens, the thing that we celebrate every Easter, when that happens, there is an actual and real end to the fleshly mind, the fleshly body, the fleshly world. Sin and death die. Revelation describes them as being thrown into the lake of fire. And they're gone forever. And what's inaugurated is a world of resurrection where both our minds and our bodies, our inner selves and our physical selves are actually really physically, materially renewed. But until then, the Spirit of God helps us in our weakness, carries us, believes for us when we don't believe, redeems us even when we make terrible decisions, works towards our good and our resurrection in spite of our brokenness. Verse 26, uh, B, part two. So we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless, wordless groans. Okay, sorry, I wasn't going to do this, but another tangent, I swear. This is, we're almost done, okay? I have time for a tangent. Uh, so this word himself is not actually himself, it's itself, because spirit is neuter in Greek, right? I, I'm saying that to say we could just as easily translate this, the spirit herself, and it be grammatically appropriate. Uh, we, like, my point is, like, we assign weird gender things because of weird gender things in our culture, um, in the worlds that we grew up in. And so, like, if you ever want to, right, we talk about God as Father, and there's some context to, like, why that is. We talked about that a few weeks ago. We talk about Jesus as Son because, one, he was incarnated as a biological male, so there's some, like, appropriateness there. But we can readily and willingly talk about the Spirit of God as her. Right? I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying, hey, there's, like, plenty of grammatical room here. In the Old Testament, there is no neuter, and it is a feminine word, right? That doesn't actually matter for biology, just saying it, it's a tangent. Um, again, take the Bible class in the fall if you want to talk more about that. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Because we do not know what we ought to pray for. And one of the realities of our weakness is our limitation. Which, for what I know about a lot of us here at Redemption Church, maybe the last few years have like um, beaten that out of us, but we tend to not understand our limits. We tend to be an overachieving bunch. We tend to be an ambitious bunch. 
And one of the things that we have to face is, yes, you, even you, are limited. And that the good news is, is that in your limitation, the Spirit of God is working. The Spirit of God is interceding for you on your behalf, even when you don't know what to pray for. The Spirit of God is actually praying for you. But how? And this is where we'll wrap up. The Spirit prays in groans. In groans. Right? This is the same word we saw last week. Creation groans under the weight of sin and death. We groan under the weight of sin and death, and the Spirit of God groans under the weight of sin and death. Right? Jesus is not just standing back going, man, I am with you, and just like watching us. Jesus is saying, I suffered with you then, and I am willingly suffering with you now. I am groaning under the weight of your pain, under the weight of your situation, under the weight of your bad choices, under the weight of your limitations. I am groaning with you. It hurts me too. And that is good news. This is not a disinterested God who stands at a distance and is like, sucks to be you. I don't know, that must be tough. But a God who has not only become human, not only suffered as a human, not only died as a human, but has now, by his spirit, entered into our present suffering and is groaning with us. Wow. And God's love and care for you God is allowing God's self to hurt because he loves you. I don't have all the answers to why does a good God allow bad things to happen. But I know that a good God is the type of God who enters into my pain and hurts with me. And I want us to take, if you don't take anything else away from this, I want you to take this away. That God is with you and crying out in anguish with you and longing with you and hurting with you and groaning with you. No, for you. He's hurting for you. And he's longing for you. And he's groaning for you. That God's groaning is not just with you, it is for you. For your redemption, for your resurrection, Likewise, the Spirit of God helps us in our weakness. Creation groans, we groan, and likewise, the Spirit of God groans with us. No, 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 for us in our weakness. God longs for your redemption. Verse 27, and the one who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, right? So God, the Father, knows exactly what the mind of the Spirit is, the will of the Spirit, the mind of the Spirit, right? His desire, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So not only is the Spirit of God praying for you, the Spirit of God is praying for you in the perfect will of God so that you can take it to the bank, Right, so if God is longing for your redemption, you can bet your bottom dollar, right? I, gosh, I'm like in the 50s now, that you will be redeemed. If God is longing for your resurrection, you can guarantee you will be resurrected. 
The Spirit of God seeks the will of God for us. There's some conversation, wait, how is the Spirit of God praying to God if the Spirit of God is God? Um, there's a class coming up that you all should take. Um, starts next Sunday. It's part two of our theology classes. Um, you can find some more on the website. But it's basically going to look at, like, for a lot of us, we've been, like, teasing out and deconstructing a lot of, like, what is Christian culture and what is Christianity? Or even, like, do I even want to believe in Christianity? I can't even tell you what it is. You have to vote a certain way. Like, I don't know. Come to this class. We will begin to help you on that journey. We will not insist that you believe or agree with anything and everything. We will lay out some of the basic things that all Christians in all places at all times, regardless of culture, regardless of context, have agreed on. And more importantly, we will talk about what those things actually do for us as human beings in like a really good and beautiful way. So you should come to that class. Sunday, five o'clock, it'll last six weeks. You're invited. I want to end with this. There are two worlds right now on, I don't know, what's the day? February 12th, 2023, there are two worlds. There's the world of sin and death, the old cosmos of chaos and decay, and there is the inbreaking world of God's kingdom. There is a world that is already breaking in, but not fully here yet. A world now that exists under the bonds of entropy and a new world that is a world of resurrection. A world that is under the rule and reign of death and a new world that exists in nothing but life. There is a world of resurrection and it begins now. It is present here. It is breaking in already among us. The Spirit of God pleads and works and moves and wills us towards this world, even now, even sometimes against our will, even sometimes when we don't know it's happening. The imminent world of God's love. And until we get there, we hope and we trust and we groan, knowing that God groans with us. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou.com. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.